Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Welcome to Digital Voices. It's Ed here, and I'm really looking forward to sharing some new perspectives with another fantastic guest that we have with uh, Lori Doherty, and she's the CEO of Acellus, and she will introduce herself in a bit about all the things that she does, and, and we're going to talk all everything from uh, leadership, women in leadership, to the digital situation with mental health and, and bridging the gap between mental health and physical health and all the great things that, that she's been leading with her company and, and just how that impacts all of the landscape with digital technologies and healthcare. So really excited. And for those who might be new to our podcast, it really is all about digital voices that cross the continuum in healthcare. So not just chief digital officers and CIOs for provider side, but we also cover the gamut with payers and life sciences, and most importantly, patients. So really excited to continue that dialogue. And first, though, I want to chat with uh, DJ uh, Sydney a little bit. So today we're tackling, you know, both leadership and also mental health. And so I know your generation is just coming into the workplace and, and really COVID might be the majority of what you and many of your friends know about. So do you talk much about mental health and, and sort of the, the, the stress in, in this new workplace, in this new environment, or how does that work with, uh, with the people that you hang out with? Yeah, Ed, I love this question because I'm actually very passionate about it. And I think my generation specifically has made it such a priority and has normalized mental health I don't think it ever has been before, especially with the pandemic too, because I think that was widely a stressor for a lot of people and it caused a lot of mental health concerns. But yeah, I, it definitely is a very prioritizing topic of conversation with my generation and it doesn't need to be as justified now. Like before, I think it's like people were looking for a reason for any mental health issues, but nowadays it's just a reason in itself. People don't have to justify it as much. So yeah, yeah it's a very important topic, I think. Sort of a less stigma yes. than perhaps yeah. in your parents' generation or, or certainly my generation. Yeah, I think I think that's great. That's that's awesome. That's the way it should be. And I'm sure it'll 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 mix right in with what Lori will have to share with us. So I, I do want to bring in Lori and Lori again, thrilled to have you. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, Ed. So, Lori, before we sort of open the floor to you to introduce yourself, and, and I know your career, it's 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 pretty awesome. That's why another reason I'm excited to talk to you. But we have two standard questions for all of our guests, just so that we can get to know you a little bit better, you know, the person behind the person sort of thing. And so the, the first question is, what's your favorite music? So like when you're driving down the highway or, or just chilling at home, what, what do you like to listen to? Yeah, so, you know, I'm a big Chris Rhea fan, Chris Isaac fan, you know, so I kind of like that genre of music, but I'm also a huge Chill House fan, so I think, um, you know, when I'm sitting around on a Saturday afternoon and I want to listen to something, I put the Chill House on and I play it loud, so <laughs> that's me. Nice. <laughs> yeah, 
I, I like the only place I get to play loud music now, you know, because you know, when you have family and married and all that kind of stuff. But I used to be like a, a big back in the day when I shaved my head on purpose, uh, you know, punk rocker. So listen to loud music. So the only place now I have a big speaker system outside. So I'm allowed to go outside. So like on a Saturday afternoon, I can relate to uh, you playing your chill house music loud. I like to go outside and play some of the, the songs of my youth uh, really loud. I'm sure my neighbors don't appreciate it though. Um, what is your life passion? That's the second question, like, or mantra or, you know, purpose, you know, have you, mm -hmm. if you thought much about it, I'm sure you have, you know, what is it that drives you? Yeah. So, you know, one is always, always do what you like, always do what brings purpose to your life. And, and so, you know, I've been fortunate enough in the healthcare industry that just about everything that I've accomplished and that I've been able to participate in has had purpose. And, um, with the with the whole advent of changing people's lives or helping people and and that's one of the things that i love about acellus and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes i'm sure yeah and that that's what's so gratifying too about healthcare, and it's not to demean any other career you know that you might have in different industries but man we, what we spend our time in and resource in really can make a difference in the lives of people i know that that that's what you do i can hear it in your voice and and what your company does so let's dive right in. First, first, yeah, tell us about yourself. So we've already talked about favorite music, kind of the mission orientation, but you know, tell us a little bit yourself personally, professionally, and kind of like your career, how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, I went to school and moved to Florida um, right out of college because it was very cold in Pennsylvania. And I heard that it was warm. Now my grandparents actually, li actually lived in Florida. so. I um, became a transplant to Florida back in uh, around 1983. Um, so my career had really evolved from working at a CPA firm and I had worked at a, in, in the CPA firm for two tax seasons. And I was like, I cannot go through another tax season. There is just no way. And, and, and God bless everybody that does our taxes. I have to hand it to you. Um, but I went to a small company called PMSI and PMSI was a pharmacy benefit management company, and thus my career in healthcare began back in about 1989. So now I'm dating myself, um, and I'm staying in the track of, of healthcare ever since, um, primarily on the workers' compensation side. Um, I did a little segue into the Medicaid, Medicare world um, on the healthcare side for for a bit, but um, it's always been in workers' compensation and primarily um, on the provider side. That's great. And so let's, you know, jump right into the leadership aspects. So, you know, it's pretty well known that women are under underrepresented. Uh, I don't think it's just healthcare, but certainly in healthcare in terms of the leadership roles. What can companies do to help advance women in, in leadership? Yeah, I think I, I you, hmm, that's a great question. Um, and, and the reason I would go, hmm, is I think I think a lot is being done across the country today. I think we've, we've seen a pretty large shift, you know, relative to women in business. However, you know, to your point, there's more that can be done. Um, but I also think it's up to women to step up and say, I can do this and, you know, look at me and count on me and then for women to support each other along the way. Um, I think one of the things, I had a great mentor, one of my very first um, jobs when I left the CPA firm um, was working for a woman entrepreneur. And you know she taught me one thing and one valuable lesson, and that is that you have a backbone, it is your spine, and use it. 
and don't be afraid to use it. And and I think we just need to we need to show up more. We need to we need to allow the world to see us, and um, and be recognized for our contributions that we bring to the table. And 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 don't let people look past them. Yeah, no, that's that's sage advice, and I, I really appreciate that. I'm I'm always very cognizant. I'm I'm married to a very very strong uh, woman leader, uh, and and I always tell people. You know, it's it makes teams better when there's diversity, uh, not just in uh, male, female, but in all sorts of diversity. And it is just uh, my when I reflect back on all my teams that I've led, the best ones have been those that are diverse and and had you know a, a great mix. And so um, I do think that you know it's something to always be cognizant of, and to make sure that everyone has you know the equal opportunity to for success. And, uh, and again, it makes it for a better team. So that's, that's cool. So you've been the CEO, as you were describing, of a couple of different companies. So certainly there's like one or two key things. So again, the, the audience here are the chief digital officers or people that report to them. So they're all sort of leaders or leaders in the making. But what are one or two things that you kind of carry over with you, like best practices, like mm -hmm. every time, you know, what, what you've learned along the way, like that you would apply to your next role? Sure. You know, I think I think one of the most important things when you're trying to bring a group of people together that may have worked together before or may not have worked together before is to have a common mission and vision and to really articulate that throughout the organization. And it, it is not for the leadership to to create. It needs to be a, a cooperative, collaborative um, mission of, of the organization so that there's buy in throughout the organization. And one of the most rewarding um, times that I've had as a, as a CEO is um, I was running a company in Salt Lake City, and we really, really spent a lot of time working on our strategy, our mission, and our vision. Um, and it, after about two years, you could walk around the organization and you could ask anybody in the organization what our mission was, and they could recite it. And it was, I mean, it might not have been exactly down to the exact words, but the general concept was there. And we we were able to take a company that was struggling, failing, and really turn it around. And it wasn't it wasn't because of me, it was because of the buy-in and because of because of the fact that the employee the associates, the employees, everybody owned it. Everybody owned a piece of the process and they knew where their piece of the process um, helped the overall picture. And it was so rewarding to me. We ended up selling that company at a nice return for the investors. And um, the company still is part of another organization today. And there are still employees there that stay in touch with me on LinkedIn and Facebook. And so it was a very, very, very rewarding um, uh, experience. And that was probably about 14, 15 years ago. Yeah, that that's a great example, because you're right. A lot of times companies, we have these, you know, lovely mission statements, and we post them all over the place. And, and no one really pays attention to it. But if you do it in a collaborative way, as you suggested, Lori, then people, you get more of that organizational buy-in and, and it's very gratifying because it does make a difference. I'm a huge believer in what you just shared. It does make a difference uh, once everyone gets it because they were a part of it and you can turn companies around, you know, just by being so mission focused. Um, so that that's a that's that's a super, super idea. Let, let's turn our attention now to what you're doing today. And, and tell us a little bit about your company and, and what your company does. Um, so Acellus is a um, Acellus is a behavioral healthcare network organization. 
Um, we, we work with uh, workers' compensation, so insurance companies, third-party administrators, and employers, as well as um, various state funds um, to provide cognitive behavioral therapy services to the injured worker. So injured workers that are dealing with traumatic injuries, um, so IE, I've seen you know, something really traumatic in the workplace, um, you know, it may have been a robbery, it may have been a, a very um, horrible industrial accident or something of that nature. Um, we, we work with injured workers that are dealing with pain management issues, um, i.e. Um, hopefully opioid prevention, or I'm not able to cope with the pain that I'm experiencing and I'm not able to return to work. Um, we work with folks that um, are suffering from PTSD. Um, we work with folks that are su suffering from concussion or traumatic brain injury. And so what we do is we, get, we provide the skills um, to the injured worker to help them cope with um, whatever issue that they're facing. When you combine the physical injury, and the physical injury could be trauma, or it could be an actual you know, broken leg or you know, severed, severed um, leg. Um, as, so we're giving them the tools to deal with that, that physical component of, to deal with the mental component of the physical injury. And yeah, so that, can, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that's fascinating because yeah, in the past, I think we focused so much on the physical and almost back to what Sydney was saying earlier when we started, uh, you know, the, the mental part was, was ignored, was stigmatized in a negative way. And, and your company is helping to change that by bringing the two together and sort of bridging that gap. Um, Correct, and, and we, we focus on work-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. So we're really focused on those issues that are preventing that injured worker from returning to their workplace. So they, you know, 99% of, of the time, the injured worker wants to return to work. That's their livelihood. You know, that's, that's where they feel um, whole, that's where they feel complete, and that's how they make their money. And so they want to return to work, but there are, you know, there are barriers that prohibit them from doing that. And so we're helping them, we're helping them work through those mental issues that would prevent them from returning to work. Yeah, that what a great service. So there, they say that through the pandemic, you know, we saw definitely saw an acceleration of, you know, issues, challenges along the lines of mental health that again, you know, Sydney was was chatting about a little bit. Uh, but one of the greatest beneficiaries to the pandemic in terms of virtual care has been the focus on mental health. Have you seen the same thing? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, that's, that is, I would say the silver lining of the pandemic is that um, the pandemic has created awareness um, across the country, across the world um, for the need for behavioral health, um, mental health. Um, it's it, it's it is there's still a stigma to behavioral health and there I think there always will be but that stigma has lessened um, you know I think with the advent of a lot of the digital technology that's out there you know a lot of the the media coverage a lot of the advertising that we see with some of the digital technology companies have kind of pushed out the idea that it's okay it's okay to ask for help and it truly is okay to ask for help and um, I think the adoption rate in the workers' compensation industry has tremendously changed in the last 24 months. Um, telebehavioral health has created access um, to individuals that may not have been able to make it to the clinician's offices you know, prior to the pandemic. So, um, and, and compliance is much higher. So folks are actually showing up for their appointments uh, via telebehavioral health 
when um, maybe before they would make an excuse not to walk into that clinician's office. Those are great examples. Are there other areas, Lori, that sell us where you're leveraging sort of digital technologies or virtual care or anything, anything new um, in terms of, you know, helping with that treatment or bridging that gap between the mental and physical that we spoke about? Yeah, actually, um, as we speak, we're in the process of um, working through digitizing some of our programs. So we have three levels of care. Um, we have um, care for those individuals that um, are, dis are um, displaying signs of stress, anxiety, depression, but don't have a clinical diagnosis of any of those things. So we help them with cognitive behavioral therapy. So we're in the process of digitizing um, that those programs and we're working with a, a well-known university, which I'm, I'm not allowed to say at this point in time, but um, hopefully by um, second to beginning of third quarter next year, we'll, we'll have digital capabilities in that area. Um, our, other, our other two programs, I think, will always be telebehavior health um, because we need the psychologist or we need the, the um, neuropsychologist um, to administer the CBT. Um, and those are the cases where somebody's actually diagnosed with stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and or they have neurological issues um, as a result of long COVID or um, TBI. And so in those cases, um, we feel that, um, you know, telebehavioral health will be the, the tool for that. However, um, some of the, the lower, and, and I'll use this word loosely because I am not a clinician, um, the lower acuity um, um, patients, you know, would, would benefit from digital technology. Yeah, so we talked about leadership at the top and women in leadership, and, and we sort of shifted focus a little bit to what you're doing today with the Celebrant. And maybe in this in this uh, last section, we'll focus a little bit more on what you just introduced in terms of, you know, the virtual capabilities and, and where we're headed. What what else do you think, you know, the industry can do? Because again, the audience here are chief digital officers, many of them responsible to to create things like what it sounds fascinating what you're creating with this university. And you know what what other things might we be working on that will help you know in in this particular area with uh, with mental health and bridging that mental health and physical health gap. Yeah, I, you know, I think, um, you know, awareness is one, you know, awareness that behavioral health is okay, as we, as we discussed earlier. Um, I think, you know, access for employees um, to have access to the, the mental health component of, of that, um, you know, that group health benefit that they have, you know, may prevent some some workers' comp injuries, you know, in the end, it, it may give them the tools that they need so that they're not, they're, they are paying attention at work and, and they don't have that industrial accident. Um, you know, I, I believe that we we should be pushing more, more information out to our employees, you know, relative to um, those, those benefits that are available to them. And if they're not available to them, um, provide the resources on where they can go find those things. So, you know, it's all about, it's about communication, it's about education, um, and it's about awareness. And, and so we're here to support those folks that have been injured, but I think there's a lot more that can be done, you know, long before they even get to um, the point where Acellus has seen them as a, as a result of a um, workplace injury. Yeah, that, that's good. You know, this is somewhat of a leading question, but, you know, I'm definitely interested in your perspective on it, given, you know, the fact that you're a CEO and, and you serve in this area. We've seen sort of a degradation of utilization of virtual care tools in the last 12 months. So in the beginning of the pandemic, 
you know, everyone scrambled for virtual tools and, and just for telehealth in general, mm -hmm. you know, we, we saw peaks of anywhere from 60 to 80% of, of visits being virtual. And since that time, it's, it's gone below 15%, 12%. It's sort of hovering, I think, right around 12% right now. Long term, you know, first we'll speak generically, then maybe then mental health. Long term, what do you think might happen? You know, if you put on your CEO hat, you're sort of visionary looking out there, what do you think might happen? Are we gonna stay, is that the floor? Or is it gonna go up? Is it gonna go down? And then, and then we'll turn our attention to mental health. Yeah, I think um, the CDOs of the world are doing a great job in um, helping us digitize, dig digitize capabilities. Um, so I think even though um, the world has kind of reverted back to, you know, maybe where we were, not quite post-pandemic, but, you know, that lower percentage that you discussed, I think it's going to increase again um, as more capabilities are rolled out. And I think that um, that COVID was an, an amazing, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for, an, an amazing um, laboratory, if you will, for um, the experimentation of using digital technology. And I think um, we're going to see a boom in digital technology. I really do. Yeah. I do as, as capabilities continue. Yeah, I'm, I'm clearly a, a major advocate of the same uh, and always had been even prior to the pandemic. So um, we, we alluded to this already, but mental health has sort of been the outlier in terms of not coming down so far. I don't mm -hmm. have exact right. percentage, but um, do you think mental health, wherever that floor might be today, do you think it's going to be poised also for growth for the same reasons you cited? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, and it's kind of interesting, the clinicians that I speak to, um, they feel that they were they are going to say, and this isn't the entire universe, these are just the ones that I've had the opportunity to talk to, but they really feel that they're going to continue with telebehavioral health. Um, that, the as I mentioned earlier, the compliance rate's much higher. They feel like they're getting um, a better experience um, with their patients um, through telebehavioral health. They're, they're able to, um, to, to touch that person you know, better you know, relative to the skill set that they can bring to the table. And I've talked to so many clinicians that say they will never go back to brick and mortar, that they will stay in the telebehavioral health space. I, tend, I agree with that as well. And certainly, you know, the, you're right, the chief digital officers and others have, have really did, done a lot to help lead this area, working with clinicians, working with companies like yours, yeah. to really, you know, leverage this. Because again, it, it increases access for people mm -hmm. who might not otherwise have had access. And there's all sorts of great, great reasons. Uh, you know, what about, i uh, ask you a question unrelated to, to the others that we've asked, but just from a leadership point of view, what advice would you give, and I know you're not a clinician, but you're definitely you know, a leader, a CEO of a company that helps with mental health. What advice would you give leaders in terms of uh, things to look out for or to encourage teams? So, Because we're talking, you and I right now and chatting, we're, we're talking about sort of the digital aspects and, and what your company does and, and different things like that. But in terms of really practical things that us as leaders need to look around our own people or ourselves, what are maybe one or two things that you might encourage leaders to think about when it comes to mental health for their own teams? Mm -hmm. um, access, access, access. Um, you know, make it available, make it easy to use, um, make sure that there's, that the stigma is not there. Um, you know, it's not something that you want to push in people's faces per se, but it, it, we need to know that it's available to us. It's really important. Um, we all we all can use it from time to time. 
and none of us are perfect. And so um, we have to remember that, you know, it's in the end, you know, we're, we're dealing with digital technology, but it's a human being behind it. And that human has feelings and emotions and, um, and, and they have needs. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate, you know, back again to what we've been talking about, including with Sydney, you know, I love how, so I'm a little bit into sports. And so when I was in, at the Cleveland Clinic, you know, I was a, a Kevin Love fan from uh, Cleveland Cavaliers and he, he came, came out and they, in the Cavs, I thought handled it beautifully, uh, you know, with, with some of the struggles he had been having. And then I'm a huge Minnesota Viking fan and, you know, they have a high profile uh, person, uh, Everson Griffin, who also had mental health or has mental health challenges. And just the way they handled it was was really beautiful. And and I think, you know, credit to those coaches and those organizations, you know, for identifying and taking the stigma away and providing access and all those things. And that's what we as leaders need to do for our teams as well. So while it's fun to sort of talk about, wow, look at all these digital capabilities, things that we're doing, we also have to remember we're working with people too. We're working with teams and we got to, you know, look at ourselves, take care of ourselves and our teams. So um, that's really important as well. So we covered a lot, Lori. We, we covered, again, you know, leadership. We covered SLS. We, we covered sort of trends in digital. And as we conclude, is there any question that I didn't ask that you would love to talk about or perhaps something we did talk about that you might want to double down on as we, as we conclude today? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think, you know, from a leadership point of view, um, if you're not doing what you love, um, then you need to you need to you need to make a change. And not that I'm advocating the great um, resignation, but um, but I love what I do. I love this organization. I love the fact that we're helping people. Um, I love it when our associates come to us and tell us those great success stories of those injured workers that we were able to help and and return to work and the successes that um, we're able to push out to the marketplace. So, um, you know, it's very rewarding, um, you know, altruistically, um, as I think about winding down my career, um, being in a place where we've actually changed people's lives is so rewarding. So that's what I would, that, and, and I love what I do. Yeah, no, that, the, again, say, more sage advice that uh, this, this uh, 25, 30 minutes with you, uh, I've learned a lot, a lot of great points that you've made, but yeah, absolutely, life is too short to do, spend it, you know, working on something that doesn't excite you, it doesn't change the world and, and, and those sort of things. So you definitely, everyone needs to go and find that that perfect role. And, and that's the beauty again of healthcare is there's so many opportunities to serve and, and make differences in the lives of people and, and cities and countries. And um, yeah, so, so, so exciting. So Lori, again, thank you for, for being our guest. Uh, your, your wisdom uh, as a leader is, uh, very clear and very helpful to, to everyone listening, I'm sure. So thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sydney. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. All right, that wraps up another edition of Digital Voices. Thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. 
When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff, and we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.